think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 344 of Low Limit Football on this 19th of December, 2021, our final show of the 2021 calendar year. And tonight, it is our final show, but rather than ease into the new year, there's plenty to talk about in the world of football. The Champions League draw is set, but not, with a lot, not without a little bit of controversy. The EPL sees multiple cancellations due to COVID. We're going to discuss that. A legend is forced into retirement and will reflect on his career. And we're going to take a look at a deep look at French football, especially how they're going to perform in the Champions League with our good friend and very special guest, Mr. Jonathan Johnson from CBS Sports. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Ready for the last show, 2021? Absolutely ready. Hi, Joe. And yeah, this year has flown by so, so fast. And I think let's hope that for 2022, we make so many more great memories. And, you know, we've got a World Cup going on, too. And, you know, that's always a, a big part of the, of the soccer world. So I'm definitely excited about that. Next year is going to be a very, very busy year for us, my friend. Um, and I'm sure we're going to we're going to try to do some some funky stuff and some good stuff leading up into that World Cup, which is going to be at the end of next year. We're a year, actually, I think today or something, I believe today's date, we are one year away from the World Cup final now. Uh, so it, it's going to be great, great, a great, great year. We still have teams that have to qualify for the World Cup. We've got a Champions League. We've got a couple of leagues to figure out. I mean, there's a lot going on here. So uh, like I said, you know, we're, we're heading into 2022, but 2021, is certainly not going quietly into that good night, as uh, as the as the famous poem says. So, let's jump into it, man, because we had a great show. We've got Jonathan Johnson coming up in just a little bit. Uh, our good friend, always glad to catch up with him um, and his insight into French football as well. But let's uh, let's start with opening thoughts because we're we're not going to have trivia tonight, and we're also going to going to have match of the week tonight. Given that we're going to be off for a couple of weeks, we return on January eighth. Uh, and this time, you're the one that's not going on vacation, and I am the one that is going on vacation. So uh, a little switch of events for us after, after what, eight years of, of doing this together. Um, a little change of schedule, but the same schedule for our listeners. So 
let's let's do our opening thoughts topic tonight. And, and our opening thoughts is certainly a concerning one. We are almost two years into this pandemic, and and here we are again, canceling matches, canceling games. Um, we've seen Germany shut their doors to fans, but they have not lost any fixtures yet, given the uh, the the Omicron uh, variant of the pandemic or the COVID nineteen uh, virus. And, uh, you know, we've seen them kind of move forward. We've seen Italy do very, very well and continue with all their matches, especially here on the weekend. We've seen France uh, play their Coupe de France matches this weekend and still planning to play that one more week before they go into their winter break for a couple of weeks. We've seen Spain uh, continue. We saw Sevilla uh, pull off a late winner against Atletico Madrid on the weekend here. But we have England. Uh, we have the Premier League. And this is where I guess the controversy is. The Premier League. Uh, this weekend canceled six of their 10 fixtures on the weekend. I believe they've also seen them cancel nine of nine fixtures within the last week due to the outbreaks in the teams for the Omicron variant. Uh, there's no plan on uh, shutting down the league to kind of isolate these teams and isolate these players and, and get things back on a normal track. Although many of the teams and many of the, uh, of, of the clubs are calling for that particular thing to just happen We've lost matches now. There is going to be eventually a competitive imbalance depending on how many matches and how many teams get canceled. I think Tottenham Hotspurs lost two matches over this due to COVID. We're going to see a competitive imbalance, Roberto. And moving forward, I don't know that that's good for the Premier League. I know they're suggesting shutting this down all the way to basically what would be the third round of the FA Cup and kind of restructuring the schedule a little bit. That goes a long ways. That would take us to January 8th and 9th. But are we looking at a situation where, you know, coming up next week, we're going to have the Boxing Day matches midweek. We're going to have all these things. And it just seems difficult to squeeze these matches in given the crisis. And then moving forward, we're going to still have difficulties rescheduling these matches if and when things start to get better. What are your thoughts on the whole handling of this crisis, especially in the Premier League? Honestly, it's been so stressful and so, I would say, frustrating for that league, especially mm-hmm. given the fact that so many games are already played at a huge amount of level um, in comparison to other leagues. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really hard to say, and you know, you can't really put the blame. Well, you can technically because they're the ones that are the ones getting sick, but. I think the Premier League are really looking into a bad situation, you know, and, and this level of uncertainty that we have with this Omicron variant is that, you know, nobody knows what could happen. And so I think that's where the, the skepticism comes. I, I think certainly the league doesn't want another shutdown because, you know, it, it was just such a huge financial blow to them when it first began. I think having to do it for a second time or even a third time would be just worse um, to see. But I Joe, I, I really don't know. You know, this is one of the few times where, you know, everyone has an opinion and think that this can happen, but I generally don't know what could happen. Like, you know, you would think that, yes, they could do a shutdown and and do it until the end of the year and then start, but then where do you play the rest of the games? And where do you have that break? I think also with this World Cup that's happening next month, literally next year, that's just going to cause even more problems mm-hmm. in terms of scheduling. And so we already have an international break in January, another one in March, and then the season ends in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got qualifiers. You know, it's 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 going to be difficult to put these games in. So you really don't know what to do at this point. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. It's hard because either way, it's going to be difficult, right? I mean, if we 
try to play through this and we continue to cancel matches on a match by match basis given the conditions we're going to end up with trying to cram these matches in at the end of the season or or somewhere in the middle and you're going to see players start, you know we, we had Dr. Raj Paul Brar uh, on a couple weeks ago and we talked about you know the the overuse injuries and we talked about the the the, the difficulties in playing um, so many matches over a, a small amount of time. We, really, we were focused on the World Cup and how that was going to play into it. But now this this throws a whole new monkey wrench into the system. And I, I can't see, you know, I, I think you almost, if you're the Premier League, and even, and I would actually extend this out to the other leagues in case things start to deteriorate in conditions there as well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I would actually, I'll be honest with you, I would consider canceling the FA Cup. I would consider canceling, you know, those types of secondary tournaments in comparison to the league because you can then free up the schedule a little bit for some of these for some of these teams and allow them to get these matches scheduled. Then you are more than more than able to, you know, take your break, take a couple weeks off, get these things isolated, get this in lockdown, get things cleared and then start clean and, and, and actually start in a bubble. I think also the Premier League needs to probably limit the amount of, uh, of fans. Uh, you know, we've seen, we've seen even this weekend, we've seen, you know, full capacities, no mask wearing. There's obviously no social distancing in these, in these arenas. And these are the things. So when you do that, you have to bring in security. You have to bring in staffing. You have to bring in concessions. You have to bring in all these people to run a normal typical match day you're putting more people into the mix you're putting and and you and you're constraining them you're, you're you're physically unable to social distance and this is going to just you know perpetuate this this problem so i really think they should, the england and the premier league and the fa should literally look at the beginning here and look at saying you know what let's shut down the fa cup now we're going to grab all these dates and we're going to be able to fill in these premier league matches cut the stadiums down to 50%, you know, even 25 or shut them down like you did in Germany. Have these players take two weeks off, get healthy, and then move forward knowing that we have these dates to be able to to backfill when we need them. I, I think that is probably going to be um, part of the solution. I don't think it's fair to the players, you know, especially let's talk about like a Manchester City, right? Or Chelsea, uh, where you're going to have... FA Cup, you're going to have league matches, you're going to have Champions League, home and away dates, you're going to be playing a match every two days. And, and it is just going to be a burden that these players physically are not going to be able to handle. We're going to see multiple, multiple injuries. We're going to have Dr. Brar back on because we're going to talk about a million overuse injuries. Um, one of the things I want to bring up, and, and again, I don't want this to go down a political road because I know everyone has their particular views. I have mine, you have yours whether they match or not is, is not important here. But one of the facts I don't want to point out, this is comes from Michael Savage's Twitter, uh, who also, I believe sky sports also tweeted these uh, statistics. And you look at the vaccination rates of players and, and of teams and of leagues. And just reading from his tweet, we look at the city, which is the highest. And, and, and it makes sense because Italy was so hard hit at the beginning of this pandemic that I think that, that, Italians in general are a little more focused on the safety. You're going to get your protests. You're going to get your people that don't want to have, you know, vaccine passports and all that stuff. And this is not what we're talking about. Um, and you look at the age group and the age group is, is I would say what, 18 to 35, right, Roberto? This is what we're looking at for all the leagues. The Serie A is 98% vaccinated 
among their players. That is an incredible, incredible statistic. Second best, Ligue 1, and we're going to talk to Jonathan Johnson about this in a minute. 95% vaccinated. The Bundesliga, 94%. La Liga in Spain, 92.8, so 93%. Where does the Premier League fall in? 68%. And I think for me, knowing what I know behind the science, and you and I are both triple jabbed, right? You you and I both went out, got our, our two-dose uh, vaccine, and our boosters, you and I are, are triple jabbed, and I and I really think that there is something to that for our safety and for our family safety. The the, the statistics here don't lie. Liga hasn't shut down. The Bundesliga has not shut down. La Liga has not shut down. Serie A has not shut down. And when I watched uh, the match on the weekend between Atalanta and Roma, when you looked in the stands, there I would say almost half of the spectators in the stands were masked, which you're not seeing in the Premier League. Um, I think there's something to this. I think there's something to the masking. I think there's something to the vaccination rate of the players uh, over the various leagues. And the result is England is canceling matches. We're not canceling them in the other four leagues. Uh, I'd like your thoughts on that because I think there is there is some truth and some proof that the vaccine actually works for what we're trying to do. And that is rid ourselves of this pandemic. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we're not going to sit here and be scientists and and go into that kind of mm. um, spiel, I would say. But, you know, I think what we've seen and, you know, we were fortunate enough and knock on wood, obviously, that this doesn't happen to us, that we have not gotten COVID yet. And so yeah. it proves that obviously we're putting in the the um, precautions necessary, but also it shows that, you know, the vaccine worked. Mm-hmm. and. The vaccines work to save you from not dying or getting to a hospital. You know, you could still get it. Everyone knows this. We all know this, that you could still get COVID in some shape, but it hasn't given you severe hospitalization or, or at worst, death. And, you know, it, it shows. It shows that, you know, you look at how the other leagues are still going on and and how they're still really moving on. It's um, it just shows that science is working on this, and then maybe there are some players that unfortunately do not feel uh, going into that route either. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you two questions. I'd like your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. One, should there be better mandates for testing in the Premier League of their players? And two, should the Premier League mandate the vaccine? Again, it's opinion. So, first one, yes. Second one, that's that's more. I I would say yes, they should. Mm-hmm. But then that goes into what happens to the players that don't take it. Sure, of course. You know, yeah. I mean, NBA has that rule where they sit them out. Yeah, the NBA is not the Premier League, and it's a it's a private entity. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, that, that's really it. Yeah, for me. You know, especially, and we're talking about the unvaccinated players at this point. Uh, I, I think not daily testing, but probably every other day, I think would be appropriate. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, again, getting into vaccine mandates is a very, very slippery slope that many people don't want to get into, whether it's in their personal life or their professional life. I don't want to go to a mandated vaccine on the players yet. However, I would think that in the, in the case of Yashua Kimmich, 
you know, who we look at in Germany, unvaccinated lung infiltrates, you know, which is basically lung damage. And he's out till at least, I believe, the end of January. When you have somebody that costs his team, I mean, let's, and, and again, I'm not saying this person's unvaccinated, but let's talk about um, let's, Kevin De Bruyne. Okay, let's take Kevin De Bruyne, for example. And I'm just taking him as a name. Very big star. Mo Salah. Let's go even bigger. Mo Salah. Okay. Right now, Mo Salah is arguably the best player in the Premier League. He's going to be the player of the year. He's on that road. If Mo Salah is unvaccinated and Mo Salah gets sick from COVID, I think Mo Salah should not be play, paid for the matches he misses because he made a choice and Mo Salah not playing could possibly cost Liverpool revenue, okay? Whether it's people coming to see him or, God forbid, that he infects six, seven other players on the team and they can't play a match uh, and you lose all of that money. I think there should be, if, if you are going to take the responsibility of not becoming vaccinated where we know the vaccine uh, is a necessary evil. Let's let's even call it that, but it's not even evil, but let's call it a necessary evil in terms of playing. If you make the, the, the conscious choice not to be vaccinated, I think the club has a right to dock you your pay when you miss matches because you have tested positive or you are physically ill because of COVID and not able to participate in the match. What are your thoughts on doing something like that? I know that Germany has pretty much moved forward with that and Bayern Munich. And they, and I, as far as I know, they docked um, Joshua Kimmich's salary. What are your thoughts on, on the Premier League making that kind of statement? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be uh, wise of them to do. I mean, certainly it puts him at risk and puts his entire team at risk. And, you know, I think... Um, I think Jurgen Klopp said it well. I think in his, I think a couple of days about this. You know, it, it really is something that should be, from a moral standpoint, done, because you know I think no one wants to see their players getting sick, and I think everyone has their opinion. They're going to say my body, my choice. But um, when you're putting yourself out there, especially when you see these players for the majority of the year, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get into those situations where you might indeed yeah. get uh, sick. But um, no, I think it's, I think everyone has the right to, to do this. And yeah, if it comes into a situation where we do see a, a Mo Salah sick and being unable to play, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, you wouldn't dock him of any like fines or anything, but certainly you wouldn't pay him at least until that's done. But that's a that's more of a question of how Liverpool handle their things. I mean, do we go from a team to team basis? Is this something that the league has to mandate and that all the teams will agree on? It's it's very much complicated um, when it comes to those kind of circumstances. Yeah, I think I think it would have to be mandated by the FA because I don't think uh, you can let Chelsea do it one way and Liverpool do it another way and you know, Everton do it another way, you, you know, even Everton, Liverpool, and you know, a few miles from each other, having one set of rules here and not an, and another set of rules there. I think, I think this is something that should come from much higher up uh, if they did make that change. And again, I want to reiterate, Mo Salah does not have COVID, at least as far as we know. We do not know Mo Salah's vaccination status. We are only using the name Mohamed Salah just to give an example of what we're talking about here. So I want to make sure that we make that absolutely clear. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a tricky slope. Uh, last question before we close out the topic: In your opinion, do the does the Premier League shut it down at least for one week, if not two, 
uh, and get this thing clear? Or do you think they just try to plug away and play through? I think it all depends on what happens on Monday, but guns in my head. Mm. Yes. I think they shut it down too. I think they have to, I, I, you canceled 60% of your matches this weekend alone. Uh, I don't see how they can continue with that. So we'll have to see what happens. And, uh, and, and again, we pray for the safety, not only of the players, but of the, the coaching staffs, the, the medical staffs, the fans, the referees, everybody that's in this crisis as we continue to, to chart uh, uncharted waters and, and hopefully everyone stays safe and healthy and, and we don't have any type of crazy stories when we come back from our break and, and hopefully everything is, is starting to turn the corner, not only in our beloved sport, but as well as, as the world as well. So let's table our discussion on COVID-19 and the effects on the football leagues and uh, move forward. We were able to welcome in Jonathan Johnson a little earlier and chat with him. Great, great friend of the show, has been for a very long time, uh, legal and representative for CBS Sports. We got to talk about COVID. We got to talk about PSG. We talked about Messi. Uh, we talked about Lil, which was fantastic, and Jonathan David, uh, and it was a fantastic discussion. So without further ado, uh, further ado, the Jonathan Johnson interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from CBS Sports, our very good friend, Mr. Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Uh, it's gl- great to have you back, especially for our last show of 2021. I want to jump into things because I know we have a lot of talk, to, a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, Roberto and I have been discussing the whole COVID situation, especially in the Premier League, uh, how matches have been canceled this weekend, and we're not quite seeing that in the French League. Uh, you know, we're not seeing it in the Bundesliga, although the Bundesliga is shut off to fans. Even in Italy, uh, Spain, we're, we're not seeing those matches canceled where we are in the, in the Premier League. In your opinion, what have some of the other leagues done right that the Premier League has done wrong to end up where we are right now? Hey there, guys. Great to be back on with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I think, uh, you know, this, the scenes we're seeing in the Premier League at the moment are, are sadly inevitable. I mean, I think just a cursory glance at the the statistics in terms of, of uh, vaccinations shows already where, where the problem lies. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Premier League is under 70%, whereas a league like uh, like my own, Ligue 1 in France, uh, is around 95, if not higher. So, you know, just that alone, I think, shows why, um, you know, this is not impacting football in any of or many of these European countries yet. Although we are starting to get, uh, you know, outbreaks in in certain squads and Real Madrid have been dealing with a fair bit of that recently. Bordeaux here in France as well. So perhaps it is something that's going to become more of an issue in the next couple of weeks. But then again. Uh, you know, it might not derail the season as much because these European leagues are not leagues that insist on plowing on through the festive period like the Premier League does. And the other thing that I think plays a major factor, uh, and I was saying this in a, in a conversation on Twitter earlier, is the fact that the UK, compared to France, and I can only compare it to France because it's where I live, uh, and I've been back to visit the UK um, the, a couple of months ago, so I've seen what it's like uh, post-COVID. I was stunned by the lack of basic uh, sanitary rules um, that are just not applied simply in in the UK compared to France. Uh, You know, for example, showing your your vaccination pass, uh, being made to wear masks uh, on public transport. You know, none of that uh, was being enforced uh, when I was there a couple of months ago at the end of October. So to hear that that stuff is only being uh, you know, really truly enforced now when it's too late, when you've got the, the Omicron virus, you know, absolutely ripping through the country, uh, was very disappointing to hear. So to be perfectly honest, hearing that all these Premier League matches are being postponed, 
is not surprising at all, uh, knowing what the day-to-day -day reality is like uh, in the UK at this moment in time. So disappointing, yes. Avoidable, uh, you know, also, yes. Jonathan, it's great to have you again and obviously to close out 2021 with you. And, you know, shifting gears obviously now to PSG and, and focusing on a player that, you know, I think is so vital for PSG and has been ever since he's joined, and that's Neymar. Obviously, he's come into the season with an injury, uh, leaves now with 14 games and three goals to his name. And obviously, you could see that he could be an impactful on this day. But, you know, I really wanted to ask, what do you think is the, the impact that PSG are going to have without him, you know, obviously heading into... The, the time that that he's going to be out for and looking at games that are happening in Liga, you know, what, what kind of effect do you see PSG having without Neymar? I think in many ways, Neymar's absence simplifies things for PSG and the fact that there's, there's one fewer um, star name vying for, uh, you know, being the, the status of being top dog uh, in this PSG side at the moment. Uh, I think it's unfortunate because I think Neymar is one of the star names that they they need on the pitch more than most, uh, you know, especially when he turns it on, you know, there are very few who can do what he can do. Uh, but I think in terms of, uh, you know, getting uh, guys like Mbappe and Messi on the same page, you know, improving their understanding, I guess uh, Neymar's absence has benefited that a little bit, especially when you look at uh, the way that they've started to, to dovetail uh, fairly nicely in the last couple of games against Club Brugge in the Champions League. Uh, and then again against Monaco uh, in Ligue 1. But, uh, you know, I think as well, it's it kind of almost feels a bit futile trying to read too many positives into um, that sort of blossoming relationship when, you know, with all due respect to him, and obviously he is still a phenomenal talent, you know, Messi is not getting any younger. Uh, you know, it's not exactly going to be the future of PSG. And while Mbappe hasn't extended his contract, uh, there's always going to be rumours that he'll be off at the end of the season. So Neymar is you know, pretty much the most key of key players uh, for PSG at this moment in time, especially when you bear in mind uh, how long his uh, recent contract extension signed earlier this year ties into the club. So I think it's really, really important that PSG get him back on the pitch, uh, you know, sometime soon. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, everybody is already going to have marked off on their, in their diaries, uh, the Champions League clash with Real Madrid coming up in February. PSG really need Neymar back for that. And they don't just need him back in time to feature, you know, over the two legs there. They need him back in time to build up his fitness, his match sharpness, heading into that key first leg. Because PSG playing at home, they'll need to maximise that uh, before they go away uh, for the second leg. Because obviously PSG finishing second in the group dictated uh, that they won't play the second leg. Uh, in Paris. So I think it's, it's, it's really, really important these next couple of weeks uh, for PSG and Neymar. Uh, and there's been regular medical updates uh, about his recovery. Uh, and it's confirmed so far that the initial diagnosis, which was about a six to eight week absence, was accurate. So, you know, that makes sort of seeing him again before the end of January very, very unlikely. Uh, but obviously that depends on on how he continues to recover. And obviously, that's a perfect segue to my next question. And obviously, focusing on the two Liga sides playing in the Champions League round of 16 ties, obviously, PSG taking on Real Madrid and Lille taking on the defending champions, Chelsea. Obviously, two games that are very much difficult, I would say. You know, obviously, with Chelsea being the reigning champions and Real Madrid with the quality that they have. How do you assess, um, you know, the likelihood of both these teams advancing uh, out of these ties? 
I don't think uh, both teams will advance. I think one might. Uh, you know, I think the PSG are probably in a better position to give it a go than Lille, with all due respect. But, you know, also, I, I don't think that we should be looking at it sort of from too much of a negative perspective and saying, well, you know, that's probably France's hopes of, of progression cooked for this season. I think instead, you know, the fact that PSG and Lille have managed to get out of their Champions League groups uh, to start with uh, is something, you know, that can be viewed as as you know, quite a positive for, for French football. Because if you looked at the, the, the position that Lille were in after the opening couple of games in that group, I, I doubt many people would have put their money on uh, Lille coming out of that group on top. I certainly wouldn't have. Uh, and, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's one of the things that was really within their reach to achieve uh, this season, getting out of that group. Because let's face it, you look at the situation domestically, they're not going to defend their title. Uh, you know, PSG have pretty much already dethroned them, barring a major, major collapse over the second half of the season. And even if that were to happen, uh, you know, there are other teams better placed than Lille, uh, you know, to potentially move into into contention. So I think that Lille will be looking at, you know, potential domestic cup success uh, and, and having done something in Europe uh, at best. And the fact that they've gotten out of the group stage in the Champions League, that means a major uh, financial windfall for them, which is very positive. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I think it was probably the best thing that they could have targeted uh, coming into this season uh, once it became clear that they were going to struggle. Then again, it doesn't surprise me either uh, when you consider the nature of the project. Uh, there was something in the, the French press just a couple of days ago how basically every member of the, the Lille squad knows that they're going to be moving on uh, sometime soon. There's going to be a big fire sale coming. Uh, at the end of the season, the fact that they got out of their Champions League group has pretty much saved them for, from having to sell too many players in January. They can now stave off uh, their financial needs until the end of the season. So, you know, I think already this can be looked at now as a success for Lille, whereas for PSG, there's more pressure on them up against Real Madrid because this is the season. You know, if PSG's Qatari owners want PSG to be the Champions League title holders going into the World Cup season uh, at the end of 2022, then they have to win uh, this edition. Certainly, um, you know, unfortunate for Lille when you look back on the on the double draw and the fiasco that happened at the, at the Champions League draw the other day, that uh, they ended up drawing Chelsea not once but twice uh, to having to face the defending champions. So unfortunate for them. I do want to focus back on PSG before we let you go real quick because there are two players returning to to uh, to Spain in this particular tie. Uh, for the first time since moving on. I'll start with the first one and the obvious one, which would be Lionel Messi. Uh, returning to the Santiago Bernabeu, where he has played multiple, multiple um, Clásicos. He's he, you know he's won. He's been triumphant there. He's been the, the thorn in Real Madrid's side for years. Uh, what do you expect out of, um, out of Messi returning here, given the way his form so far, so far in the season? And the other one would obviously be the, the former captain, Sergio Ramos, returning to his hometown club. Um, although he's been injured and he's only seen one match so far, according to my statistics, do you expect him to, to make the, uh, the side going to Real Madrid? Or do you see something uh, different where Sergio Ramos is not featured in this particular tie? <laughs> well, that's uh, that, that, that's a tough question. I mean, asking me right now if I expect that much from either of them going into those games against Real Madrid, 
The honest answer is no, not too much. I mean, okay, I guess you could look at Messi's stats in the Champions League uh, and say that he's still delivering on that front. Uh, you know, he's been very disappointing uh, in terms of his performances in Liga. But none of that disappointment, uh, you know, can even compare uh, with the... Uh, the, the disaster that Sergio Ramos has been for PSG is uh, signing so far. You know, he's barely, uh, you know, been able to get through 90 minutes. Uh, he's had major injury problems ever since signing. Uh, and I think that, you know, despite the fact that they'll probably play this weekend, we're recording on the weekend where PSG will be in, in Coupe de France action on the Sunday. Despite the fact that he may well feature in this game, there's absolutely no guarantee that he'll be fighting fit uh, come those two legs against Real Madrid. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, obviously having two players with the, the that sort of experience, you know, will be a major boost for PSG, a huge asset. Uh, you know, as is having somebody like Angel Di Maria as well, who you know is very familiar with playing at Santiago Bernabeu, Keylor uh, Navas as well. But uh, you know, that that experience is only useful if the players are going to play a key role. And at this moment in time, it's more likely that Messi. Uh, you know, will be in a position to to, to have an influence on those two legs than, than Sergio Ramos. Sure, if Ramos has, uh, you know, a solid January, that maybe puts him into contention, uh, you know, to potentially start in a, in a game like that against Real. But at this moment in time, uh, you know, given his fitness record since signing, it, it would be a huge risk for Pochettino to to plan or to build the the defence around him too much ahead of those games against Real Madrid. You know, he needs guys, uh, you know, whose fitness he can trust, uh, you know, and, and he knows that they'll be uh, unlikely, uh, you know, to, to, to miss out uh, because of some, you know, s small tweak or, or whatever um, in, in such a big fixture. And that's just not guaranteed with Ramos uh, at this moment in time. He's just far too fragile uh, at the wrong point in, in his career. So I'd say out of those two guys, I'd expect Messi to have more of an influence on it. But Messi really, really has to um, you know, develop and show more. Um, more. We, we all know what he's capable of, but he hasn't shown that enough yet with PSG. Certainly not when you take into account what he's done domestically so far. Last question before we let you go: uh, If you if you can give me one name for both Lille and for PSG that you kind of have your eye on uh, going into these two legs of the Champions League, what were those? What would be those two player names that you would throw at me? Um. I think for Lille, probably the guy that I'm keeping an eye on is Renato Sanchez because if he's still a Lille player come the end of January, uh, I think that'll be a boost for Lille because I think before they got out of the Champions League group, he's probably one of the players who bigger clubs uh, could have looked at and potentially prized away. Uh, and I think he is still quite influential uh, in that Lille team. Obviously, we all know that the star, the, the, the main man uh, is Jonathan David. You know, he's scoring a, a tremendous amount of goals at the moment. Very, very impressive. Uh, and has stepped up uh, to fill the void left by Burek Yomaz, who's just, you know, basically dropped off the face of the earth in terms of form, uh, you know, extremely well. So so kudos to him. But I, I keep an eye on Renato Sanchez because... You know, David is only as good as his uh, supporting cast. He's not going to be able to score the goals if he doesn't get the chances created for him. And, and Sanchez, you know, is extremely important in, in pulling the strings from midfield. Uh, for PSG, it's a sadly predictable name. But, uh, you know, I'm going to have to say Marco Verratti because we all know that when Verratti isn't fit and in form, uh, you know, PSG basically just might as well not turn up. So I think... 
going into those two legs uh, against Real Madrid and Chelsea, respectively, uh, you know, I think that PSG will need Verratti at the absolute top of his game to stand a chance. Uh, and Lille will also need Sanchez to be, uh, you know, extremely influential for them to even have a chance of, uh, you know, not losing both of those games over two legs. You know, I hope that that, that Lille can surprise me and, and keep it tight and, and respectable. Uh, it just seems like a bit of a, a, a mismatch uh, on paper. But for PSG and Real, you know, two star-studded teams, that one should be uh, a, lo- a lot tighter uh, in theory. And obviously last time out, uh, when the two have met in the Champions League, we saw PSG uh, win one of the group stage games and then draw the other. So, you know, that should give them uh, a bit of a boost. But you know, Verratti is still so important to the way that PSG set up, the way that they play, the way that they try and control uh, and dictate the tempo against against big teams. Uh, so, you know, he will be absolutely key again here. I love the the uh, Renato Sanchez mention, but the Verratti name you absolutely read my mind. Uh, so great, great stuff, Jonathan. Thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, always a pleasure to have you, my friend. A very merry Christmas and a happy, safe, and healthy New Year to you and the family. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again in 2022. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Happy holidays to both of you, and uh, look forward to the next time. And special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got one more topic that we want to talk about, and it's a rather somber topic. Uh, we saw, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll open the discussion because we saw what happened to Christian Eriksen at the Euros. Uh, you know, just the horrifying scenes, and thankfully Christian Eriksen is better. He's on the mend. I know Inter have released him from his contract, and it looks like he's going to be starting his footballing career again. Uh, so, you know, continued recovery for Christian Eriksen for sure. But not so lucky for uh, Sergio Aguero uh, and uh, and the the superstar, the Manchester City legend, the Barcelona striker, announced his retirement from football due to a heart arrhythmia that was discovered just about a month ago as he came off the pitch uh, playing for Barcelona. Came off the pitch with chest pains. Um, they followed him. It's discovered to be a heart arrhythmia, and although they have tried to treat it to allow him to come back. Uh, it is not going to happen. So the 33-year-old this week announced his retirement from football. Uh, there is talk that he will be offered as an ambassador for Manchester City. Uh, this is a story coming from the Mail, um, and he's going to be—he's got a job offer to be Manchester City's uh, ambassador. I think this corresponds very, very well with the fact that if we look at the City property and City Group property in NYCFC winning the MLS Cup earlier uh, this—you know—a week ago. I think this is a great opportunity for him, but unfortunately losing Sergio Aguero to uh, this heart arrhythmia, losing him sooner than we really needed to, and especially for Barcelona as well, losing a, a player that they really desperately needed. Um, I'm going to read you to uh, some of his statistics from the iDisky times tweet, Manchester city. He played 390 matches, scored 216 goal, 260 goals and won 15 trophies at Atletico Madrid, 230 matches, 100 goals, and two trophies. At Independiente in Argentina, 38 games and 18 goals. It was always thought that he was going to go back there and finish his career. Uh, Barcelona, very obviously a very short time there, five matches, one goal. And for the Argentinian national team, 101 matches, 41 goals, and the one trophy. Um, certainly a legend of the game. I would absolutely say that he is one of the top 10, if not top five strikers of his generation. Um and, and it's unfortunate, like I said, to see his career cut. And not that he, he had a much longer career left ahead of him, 
But to see it cut so soon is, is very, very unfortunate. But we are grateful that we still have Sergio Aguero with us and that he will continue his footballing uh, career in, in a different capacity moving forward. I think he'll be great as an ambassador and, and, and certainly just a legend overall. I'd like your reflections on him. My my favorite uh, memory of Sergio Aguero is scoring that goal for Manchester City in, 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 in stoppage time to win them that first championship in this string of this quote-unquote City dynasty. Uh, you know, just an, a magical moment from him, and he was always good for a goal somewhere. What are your thoughts on Sergio Aguero, my friend? I think he has been, you know, one of the top genera- um, strikers of his generation. I think, you know, he's always been a player that has, you know, continuously showed up for, for the teams that he's played for, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think his career is definitely one to remember for. I think, you know, it's 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 sad, but also a bit bittersweet as well that it has to come so soon. Um, you know, the fact that he was able to win, like you said, you know, he was the main guy that helped Manchester City win the Premier League after so much time. Mm-hmm. I think well, he will always have a special place in the hearts of City fans around the world. Um, you know, obviously he came from Independiente and people love him there at Atleti. He, he did very well there in his first uh, stint in Europe. And hey, I mean, if you're going to close your career off, at least do it in El Clasico. I mean, not not many players can have the opportunity to say that. Um, so he's definitely one to to put that on his resume. And, and of course, for the Argentine national team to to win that Copa America a couple of months before, mm. I think um, you know it's something that it's a a sad ending. But I think when we look back at you know, all the goals, all the memories, and everything that he's done, I think it's it's safe to say that this is one of the best players at least in his position, um, of his generation. And we were grateful enough to to see him from the very beginning uh, all the way to the end. Now, I, you know, I, I would even want to add that he was a respected player, uh, respected both among his coaches and, 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 his, and his teammates. Uh, you know, you, you notice that respect when Pep Guardiola makes the trip to Barcelona for his announcement for his retirement. You know, somebody that he's coached, somebody that is, you know, and, and, and for even for Pep to re- return to Barcelona for this, you know, it it speaks volumes of of Pep's respect for Sergio Aguero here, and and I think this is, you know, like we said, it's an unfortunate thing where where we're losing Sergio Aguero on the pitch, but we're seeing, you know, we were thankful that we've seen a legend. We've, and you and I over the eight year course of this podcast, we've seen plenty of legends. I mean, we're we're obviously in the middle of the or, or towards the end of the Cristiano Ronaldo Lionel Messi era, right? Um, that would be the same as let's say we were doing this podcast in the mid eighties and got to do this during the Diego Maradona era or something like that. So we've seen many, many, many great worldly players. And I think Sergio Aguero needs to be spoken about, not necessarily at the level of Messi and Ronaldo, but spoken up there with the top players of his generation because of the things he's contributed, you know, and, and this is not a top five list for me or or that kind of thing. I, I think there are many, many players that we would look at. You know, we look at Gigi Buffon. We look at uh, Giorgio Chiellini. We, we look at a bunch of these players that play in this in this era uh, that Sergio Aguero played in over the last 10, 15 years. Robert Lewandowski and those types. And, and we can put Sergio Aguero's name in with those names because I think he belongs in those names. So, uh, you know, just losing a, a legendary player, you know, just before his time, I, th- I think is, is unfortunate for us as fans because we don't get to see the greatness. I think, you know, ultimately I'll be honest with you. I wanted to see him play with Messi at Barcelona. 
I, I think it was really unfortunate that Messi chose now to leave uh, as his friend Aguero is coming into play. I would have liked to have seen both of them play at the club club level. I think it would have been something fantastic to see. But, you know, obviously we're robbed of that. But I think uh, certainly a legend in our time and uh, and somebody that we uh, will have to cherish his memories and uh, we'll go back and watch his highlights for, for eternity. So um, all the best to him and his family and, and continued health to, to Aguero as he, as he battles the arrhythmia and, and hopefully we'll see him sometime soon, whether it's an ambassador uh, situation or as a coach, we'll, we'll have to see what the, what the footballing future holds for, for Kun Aguero and go from there. So, my friend, I know we've skipped match of the week. As far as match of the week goes, we'd like to just remind our, our listeners that we are off coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks for the Christmas holiday and New Year holiday. We will be back on January 8th. There will be Boxing Day matches, we anticipate. Um, but many of the leagues will start to shut down as we move into this uh, into this lull. And I think it's a timely lull given the topic of COVID that we talked about earlier that hopefully things get straightened out and, and we move forward without any glitches in our, uh, in our beloved sport, no matter what. So my friend, I have nothing left on the docket for the year. So without uh, any further ado, I'd like to hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. 2021. Goodbye. So for episode 344 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson for joining us on the show. As previously mentioned, we will be off the next couple weeks. We will be returning on January 8th with uh, our latest podcast, episode 345, and hope to bring you in 2022 uh, nothing but uh, great content and great guests as well. We'd like to thank all our listeners for giving us a great 2021 and bearing with us. And as we move into 2022, hope to bring you some great shows. So to you, my friend, Mr. Rojas, I would like to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas, a very safe, happy, and healthy 2022, and many more years of doing this together. Um, And thank you for all you do, my friend. Any final words as we hit the closing music? No, thank you to you as well. Thank you to everyone who's been listening and tuning in for giving us the support as we enter into a new year. And here's hoping for many more great memories in 2022. Fantastic stuff. So for episode 344 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy new year. Good night.